It's fine to approach someone you admire and ask for feedback or some level of help, but I would say definitely try to tackle specific questions or things that you mm -hmm. admire about them. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've already seen them on some kind of conference or, or you have an understanding of who they are. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. It's an immense pleasure to have Leo Gomez Bloom today. Hello. Hi. Hola. Leo has a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Advertising Design. She also studied design leadership, interactive media, and front-end development, between other things. Leo is a Latinx in power because she's an inspiring and successful immigrant from Ecuador who started her design career in advertising agencies, then transitioned to product design and worked at Grubhub, Spotify, and now Leo is a senior product designer at Disney's streaming service. What does it mean to be a Latinx for you? Yeah, I really like this question when you sent it, actually. Um, I would say the word Latina is bigger than myself, and when I think about it, I just think about it as a force, right? Like a, the superpower that is very tangible and I can feel. And you feel Latina, like every time you speak, you do things, maybe you, you have a preference for music or just the way you interact with things on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, so I always want to think about like people who really made the way for us. So like I think about my mom and the women before her. I like to think that I use their own strength, right, in the form of perseverance, mm -hmm. because I think we all, especially Latina women and, and Latino men as well, we learn to expect a lot of different things like out of life, right? And sometimes we mm -hmm. are super open to like the good and the bad. And so mm -hmm. when I think about the word Latina, it just, it definitely speaks to a side maybe that has struggles but also cherishes life in a very different way and that's pretty powerful to me that was beautiful and where does your life story begin as you did in the intro thank you for doing that by the way i was born and raised in guayaquil ecuador i moved here actually to go to school um, and since a very young age i always like to create and design and paint and draw but really um I guess the more I think about it, my professional story starts with like the single act of kindness. And now I become super aware of that. I actually had to do an introspect to answer this question. <laughs> and I realized how lucky I am as an immigrant, right? It, that moved to the U.S. My primary goal at the time when I moved with my family was to settle and pay bills, right? To make, let the family really become a family in this new land that we ha were not expecting to move into. My dad was learning a new language at a very different age than mine. At the time he was 50 and he was just getting started. My mom was able to get a job as a chemist who she was uh, actually in Ecuador. She, that was her profession. But when I moved to NYC, our, my expectations were very, very different, right? Um, I had done some college work in Ecuador, but I started working in retail because I knew that was really my goal at the time. And someone uh, that was actually a co-worker ended up finding out that I went to school in Ecuador and seeing my portfolio. And that person literally just changed a lot of my life. Um, that person helped me apply and really fulfill my potential. I always like to think like everyone has potential, but not many have opportunity. And that's mm -hmm. the reality for a lot of Latino uh, people as well. So when I think of dreamers and immigrants like myself, I, I know our priorities aren't usually grand fantasies, right? Of un unrealistic lives. 
uh, or mm-hmm. just living in a different way. They're, they're just basic human needs. And, and that person that took some time out of their day to provide guidance on something that would change the rest of my life is, is basically how I would define my professional life altogether. And it's really one of the many opportunities that made me the person who I am today. I think this is a topic that I quite often hear in this podcast that we always talk about. We need someone to open the door. As soon as this door is open, as soon as you have the opportunity, everything changes. I think there's, it's interesting because I, I see it as a progression of doors, right? But mm-hmm. that first door is the one that allows you to have the courage, maybe. <laughs> and then you can continue knocking on those doors or trying to find the key or like there are different mm-hmm. ways in which you are going to enter those rooms. But more often than not, you're going to have to trust in yourself to make sure <laughs> that you take that next step. And I always ha- like to go back to that initial way of thinking, especially in school, because I feel that was a moment where I could have gone in many different ways, but I didn't, right? And because of that person, I feel then it ended up being a series of events after that. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I definitely look back to that with really a lot of respect for that person. Talking about your work now, can you share with us a little bit more of what a product designer does? I also like this question because I still have a hard time explaining that to my family. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of ways of romanticizing the role, right? I think in through product design. At the core, I like to think uh, we're builders and creators who constantly advocate for users and they use we have to use insights and data in some way. We have different kinds of product designers, right? Like there's digital product designers, as industrial product designers. I think it's just about the tool set that we use uh, and the mm-hmm. problems that we're trying to solve with the tool sets uh, that we have. A product designer, I would say, is closer to the digital product lifecycle, which is this mm-hmm. idea of you know, defining a problem or shaping it in some way, building something, an artifact, and then learning from it, delivering it ultimately to the development team. And usually this process happens multiple times and you have to go back and forth from what we consider the end to the beginning, you know, and back and forth. I like to think as a product designer, it's like that person creating, but also using some insights to develop uh, something that is somewhat tangible. I'm sure everyone wants to know more about this one. Can you share with us what you do at Disney and what product are you working on? I am happy to go over some of like the very high level understanding of my team, but Mm -hmm. I am part of the international team at Disney Plus and we focus on launching the experience beyond the US. So um, growing up in Ecuador, obviously, I just remember going to the movies and thinking this doesn't feel like, like this movie doesn't speak like I do, or they don't speak, they don't act the way I do. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking like how impressionable I was, right? As somebody who was just going for entertainment and then realizing that that piece of content, I guess, like it was not really as relatable as I expected. So when uh-huh. the Disney team called um, and they said, we're building this team from scratch that is going to help us launch the service, I just had to raise my hand and say, yes. I grew up without movies. I know the pains of people <laughs> that maybe uh, feel like the content is not created for them in some way or services that are not built for them, right? And so I just I just had to join. Uh, and, and beyond that, it's been mainly a focus of launching Disney Plus everywhere. So it means everything from what we discuss on the product design side to building insights and, and really using empathy uh, to create products mm-hmm. that people can use and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you build experience that help 
other folks from different cultures, maybe different languages, uh, see the Disney Plus content more relatable to them. Yeah, constantly enhancing the experience to make sure that we launch it and it's ready for all those cultural nuances is what we do mm -hmm. in our team. We just want to make sure that the experience is ready for every user everywhere. It's amazing and a huge challenge too. So it's really cool. We're still learning from it every day. And even as somebody who grew up not speaking English as a first language, it's still a challenge, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a lot of empathy mm -hmm. that has to be built beyond just my understanding. Uh, for example, another thing that I would do is I'm learning <laughs> how to design in CJK, which is Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. I didn't grow up learning any of those languages. So mm -hmm. learning small things on the design side from legibility, you know, line spacing, contrast, um, just making sure that whatever we build speaks to that audience and serves mm -hmm. the same purpose. It is a huge part of our day to day. And a lot of mm -hmm. design principles have to be used to confirm that we are designing the right experiences. Mm -hmm. Amazing. You definitely need to have a lot of empathy and be open-minded, learning all the time. I feel that I'm still learning. I'm living in the U.S. for six years. And right now, there's a lot of things that happens in Brazil that I don't know because I'm not there. I'm not living there. And some memes, even the memes, I know the old ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting point. For example, um, a very similar thing, we were going through payments in Latin America and there were a few that were just so new to me that I couldn't mm -hmm. even have guided anyone through the process of payments <laughs> in Latin America. So it's also very topical, right? Like some of the things that are happening mm -hmm. now are meaningful to those users, not mm -hmm. who I was when I lived there. That, that kind of understanding has to be a distinction, but maybe what you can bring is that level of empathy to say, are we doing the things that those users yeah. find important, right? And so instead mm -hmm. of just assuming that we do. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. It's happened to me more than once. Like with music, <laughs> with jokes, I'm like, I'm lost here. I don't, I don't get that anymore. <laughs> I know you are a curious person. It's always researching and learning new things. Can you share with us what you are curious about now? So I would say... Um, and we were kind of going over that before, but life after COVID to me um, has opened a lot of different questions. Like I, my, my assumption and even a hypothesis that fundamentally, I don't think life is going to be the way it was previous to March 2020. Mm -hmm. Like there are going to be things that are going to be just different, fundamentally different. So when I think about the, those challenges as a product designer, I get actually very interested in how services are going to have to be redesigned or thought out to service mm -hmm. all of these uh, like new audiences and users that are going to need to rethink the way things were done in, in a very linear way before, right? And so that is something that I stay up at night thinking about. Uh, and not only in the context of obviously what I'm doing today, which is maybe closer to entertainment, but just in general, like how mobility will work, right? Or how mm -hmm. healthcare will work right? and services mm -hmm. like that. And that's definitely one of the areas where I'm just very curious about life and services post-COVID. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that and even concerts, going to the movies, parties. Exactly. And I definitely think about that level of engagement, like 
And I think everyone's aware and super concerned about it, but how we connect, right, in general. When we talk about Latin America, that's, music is a huge part of our day to day and usually being communal in a space, right? Yes. And sharing music and really sharing that experience is super important to us. So when we think about how we continue to be who we are while also transitioning to this new way of living, that's really interesting to me as well. Yeah, for sure. This is an interesting conversation to have thinking about Latin America. We are super community oriented. We hug people a lot. So I'm curious to know how the future is going to be and how this is going to affect our lives. And I definitely I'm not seeing people. Sometimes I social distance and see a closer friend, but it's really strange to me not hugging people and now I'm a little, I got used to that but it still it feels that that's something missing absolutely I totally hear that I mean even family members right like I have mm -hmm. a lot of family yeah. in New York and for a few weeks I was kind of like doing the elbow thing and just being mm -hmm. respectful of the space because also my brother is just terrified of germs uh, so I mm -hmm. try to keep my distance But it just became so natural for us to eventually realize that as long as we were doing the right things, then we could continue to be who we were. So we wore yeah. masks and we wash our hands yes. and do different things. But yeah. uh, ultimately, it did become a part of who we were, like how we could compromise those two things and, and continue to be who we are. That's a good point. And where Latin access can make an impact, in your opinion, which areas or love to hear your thoughts? So I would say high level um, for me, it's about representation. And this is what I love hearing every time I hear a podcast of Latin people or just Hispanic people in power, right? Like people who actually want to represent the voices that are not usually represented in the room mm -hmm. or have to be considered in a conversation where like new technologies are constantly being built, but the same people are building those technologies that are going to satisfy billions of people. So when I think about how we can have an impact, it's about being present and hopefully we can be part of those conversations in some way or another. I'm not saying it will happen overnight, but I think <laughs> being part of, you know, the different areas where technology happens. And, and I think actually I mentioned this to you, but to me, technology has been the biggest like equalizer, right? Just in general, like Now we have access to phones and computers and they are more affordable than they were maybe 20 years ago. But I think that's for everyone. But just in general, the way that we are able to access information, content, just education in general um, mm -hmm. has been democratized. And it's super important for Latinx uh, to be exposed to that level of empowerment, I would say, and then use mm -hmm. it to continue to move forward some of the conversations that are happening that sometimes mm -hmm. we're just not a part of. So use technology, be part of that technology, you know, embrace mm -hmm. it. And then at the same mm -hmm. time, help build it and pay it forward. It's interesting how, for those who have access to technology, how we can be part of different conversations that we weren't before because we didn't have access and how, in this sense, technology really democratized things and we can be part of a lot of different things and we can have a voice. Absolutely. I think one of the most empowering things, by the way, beyond just that, uh, like what I like about technology is that it's given us a new way of seeing the world, right? Like, which mm -hmm. maybe I didn't have growing up. And now you have such level of 
closeness to other mm-hmm. cultures and languages and people become bilingual trilingual faster because the mm-hmm. availability is there and you're able to mm-hmm. see it all really fast and that's really fascinating to me yeah. but i really hope that we can continue to be strong enough to know who we are right fundamentally mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. forget that because that is really the superpower right to continue mm-hmm. to build who we are when we live you know in a small town and an area in Ecuador or whatever it is or a big city area in Ecuador and we have access to TikTok or Twitter or whatever it is that we use to get that lens to the outer world like that's important but let's not cross a line where we become right like that other side stay within that balance where we're Mm -hmm. able to use our superpowers which are pretty important we have a lot of superpowers if anything what we do is enhance those superpowers with more right information that could get us to a different place to be empathetic to be knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and to be prepared right to to have Mm -hmm. that those insights about how the world works or how people just live in different parts of the world that that's pretty powerful i just want to make sure that hopefully we never step completely to the other side it's always a balance between the two i agree that's a great point And tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear these phrases. So talking about superpower, what is your superpower? So I'd like to think um, tenacity is a big part of that. And I also <laughs> think that I dust off very well because I've been, you know, not everything is very is easy for anyone, but I, I come across some challenges and you just have to continue going, you know, just roll over, <laughs> stand up and open that door again. Mm-hmm. Cool. And the last skill you learn. So I took an art lab class, um, which is a reality. I think it's augmented reality focus, uh, but it's from NYU. Uh, so I took an AR and VR class and I learned how to prototype an A-frame in Spark Studio. Um, I'm really looking forward to continuing to use those skills just to create for my own uh, side projects really more than anything. But I'm mm-hmm. very interested in using tools that are so easy, not only to use, but to access by everyone. That is interesting. Super cool. Your favorite Disney movie or character? It did take me a while to think about this one. Uh, Monster <laughs> Sink. I really love the script. I think it's super solid. Every time I think <laughs> about it, I'm like, that's genius how they were able to connect all the different ends. Always gets me. Like, it's, it's a good movie, I think. I like this movie too. And just out of curiosity, do you usually watch the Disney movies in Spanish or English or both? I'm asking that because sometimes I watch in Portuguese just because I really like it to watch it in Portuguese too. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I think it's a kind of content. So if I watch <laughs> that content originally in a language, I would probably keep it in that language because at yeah. that point it just <laughs> reminds me of maybe the first time I watched it. So they're older movies that I watch maybe in Spanish, but mm-hmm. the Pixar movies to me, they're too recent. Right, mm-hmm. like I, I almost remember Mike Wazowski being Mike Wazowski. It would be difficult to change his like to Miguel. <laughs> I actually should probably watch it in Spanish just to confirm that I'm not missing out on something. I have a memory. The first time I went to Disney, it was for the Disney Disneyland here in California. It was interesting because in the the, the show they have there's like this really young kid. She was like singing the Frozen song so loud and so passionate crying when I looked at her I was like 
this is amazing and I was so impressed because she was truly happy and feeling it. What else do you remember? Do you remember how old you were? I'm wondering. I think she was around like three, four years old. You were in your teens? Oh, no, no. It was when I moved here. I, I, I never went to Disneyland when I was a kid. No, I, I yeah, I was old. <laughs> That's interesting. So how was it experiencing Disneyland when you came here? It was interesting because I was never that into like Disney that much. I always like watched the movies, but I don't know, maybe I never thought about going to Disneyland, you know? And when I move it here, I need to go. So in my first year in 2014, maybe it was in 2015, I went to Disneyland and it was amazing. I think I never understood the magic. I have like my perspective from the movies that was amazing, I really like it. But when I was there, I could feel it. I, I felt so happy. Everything was so beautiful. I felt like a kid and I'm vegan and they have food for me. And I remember at that time that they were having the Star Wars specials and I ordered the burger, a Star Wars themed burger. It's always a challenge to order vegan food and actually my husband ordered and when he said that he's vegan, the chef came and she prepared our burger and when she delivered it was written special. Oh, nice. This never happened in my life. I was treated like maybe better because I'm vegan. <laughs> they, they wrote special and it was really interesting. I think those two things, they had food for me. They were so nice about it. Even wrote special in my burger. And this kid, I think she was like three, four years old singing so passionate. And to me, it was amazing. I always compared the experience of watching movies to like listening mm -hmm. to an album right about a band that you like mm -hmm. and then going mm -hmm. to Disneyland like going to the concert so when you experience those two different things it feels different if you go mm -hmm. to a concert you might walk out of that place as a super fan right or somebody uh -huh. that just yes. connected with that person and you're like oh my god I can't believe how good they are live and whatever that is right or you might have a terrible experience who knows What I, what I love about that is that there's a level of natural melancholic feeling that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to remember that special time. And you might just be inclined to constantly like remember that feeling by replaying that through a movie and you just pop it again on streaming or just, you put on your headphones, listen to that song again. But you know, you're mm -hmm. ultimately constantly relating that to that feeling that you had in, as a person. That's usually what I think about when it, when we think about the streaming service. I and this I definitely want to make sure everyone knows this. The streaming service owes everything to the people at the parks, right? Like they created mm -hmm. that foundation, those feelings, those memories. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing is to create a space for everyone to continue to enjoy and go mm -hmm. back to live that memory. But mm -hmm. uh, the parks really continue to build that very level of familiarity that will connect people to Disney and the characters and the movies that they know and love. And uh, that's another reason why COVID is really interesting right now. Like they're removing that part of the, the connection. It doesn't mean that it will completely go away, but it makes me wonder, like how are those two things ever gonna you know, come back? And my last question from this series, a good product in your opinion? 
So I actually had to look this one up as well because I don't get to use a lot of different products, but Barjo, I don't know if you've seen it. So it's a new mixed reality headset. I'm very interested in what they have to do. And again, because I'm very interested in AR and spatial design, they are based in Virginia in the US and then they're in Europe. Uh, and I think they have a really interesting proposition uh, for a mixed reality headset. Uh, I think mm -hmm. Larna as well, which is a, the kind of, uh, it's an app right now that allows you to pay in different installments. An interesting way of thinking through the future of shopping, especially post-COVID. Uh, post uh, so I'm mm -hmm. interested to see that transition from shopping today, uh, or what it was a couple of months ago, right? And going to the stores and doing retail in person than it is uh, doing it online, which I think we've already transitioned into, but the payment part is interesting as well. Snap, I actually like Snap a lot. I, I think it's a very innovative company. Uh, I like the digital uh, application, but I also like the hardware that they're creating, constantly thinking mm -hmm. through. I would probably say those are, those are the good products that I can think of. Very cool. You were a mentor at Design Lab. I imagine there's a lot of people looking for a job or mentor right now. What advice would you give to someone in this situation? I think mentorship is an interesting exercise in general for new people who are just starting their careers and people who are farther along. Um, I, I would say to get most out of any mentorship session, you should definitely consider taking the time to learn more about yourself. Um, and you can do that without any experience or a lot of experience. You just have to have a clear understanding of your own areas of improvement and be honest enough, right? To identify them as weaknesses or strengths uh, and then see if you can find someone who is able to speak to those areas where you want improvement, right? Uh, and at that point, you can laser focus on their feedback. If they're very good at something that you're not so good at, then that's that makes it an easier conversation to have. But I will say from experience, the design community in general is very, very generous. Uh, and I, I'm gonna do a shout out to Koji, because he was also mm -hmm. my mentor. So that was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And I really believe people generally like to help each other. I have seen that firsthand during really good times and the not so great times. It's fine to approach someone you admire and ask for feedback or some level of help, but I would say definitely try to tackle specific questions or things that you <laughs> admire about them. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've already seen them on some kind of conference or, or you have an understanding of who they are. So when you approach someone, ask in, in laser focus, maybe you can ask about, you know, the way they build great teams or tips on hiring people and mm -hmm. making diverse decisions, right? Or empowering designers. Like there's ways in which you can focus your questions so you can get the most out of them. And if you already have an understanding of who they are, it's a lot easier to get the right feedback. Really great tips. The first one, I love that. Getting to know more about yourself and be really specific about your questions and what you're looking for. This is amazing. I truly believe that a mentor can really help. Sometimes sh really shift your career or even a way or you're thinking about something or can really help in this process. So yeah, I'm really grateful for your tips. They're awesome. I think there's a win-win in that situation as mm -hmm. a mentor. Like you can learn a lot more about human nature, right? Like pe why yes. people are asking different things. Hopefully as well as a mentee, you, you can get that level of feedback that would allow you to grow and become better at, in the areas that you want to improve. And I think people are 
generally looking to have that level of opportunity. Sometimes they just don't know how to do it. So the more focused you can be about what you're looking to get out of something like that. And you don't go up to someone necessarily say, I want you to be my mentor, right? Or like, I want to be a mentor. I want to be a mentee. Uh, I think part of this is just allowing for some level of fluidity to happen. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. learn it from somebody at work and then you Mm -hmm. see their strengths and you can set up one-on-ones and say, you know, I really enjoyed how you did this. Can I just set up the time to chat with you about this? Mm -hmm. Or similarly, if you see somebody on LinkedIn, maybe that you enjoyed how they do different things, whether it's maybe their points of view, what they stand for, their vision, Mm -hmm. like it's really important for you to understand who you are first in order Mm -hmm. to confirm that you're able to get the best out of the questions that you have for those people because they're sometimes too busy and you don't want to miss that opportunity and it's fine to reach out just make sure that you're super focused as well for sure it's a good reminder that it is a two-way street the mentee also learns a lot there's different perspective different ways of viewing things so it's always a two-way street and i really like your tip about being specific because sometimes when you approach Uh, someone you want to be your mentor this person might not know how they can better help you but if you are specific about the things you want to learn and how this person can help you and also when how often do you expect this person to help you it's so much easier because sometimes they might think you need more time than you actually need so they might say no but maybe you just need 30 minutes per month or every other month so they can better manage their schedule. I agree. I mean, it's intimidating, right? To hear that Mm -hmm. somebody wants something from you, but you don't know Mm -hmm. if you're going to be able to meet their expectations. And and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people feel in a position where they're just, maybe they they just don't know if we're going to be able to deliver what they're expecting to get Mm -hmm. out of this. So I, I think there's an opportunity for everyone to normalize what asking for help is while also understanding that sometimes delivering help is also about providing the best outcome that you can right it doesn't necessarily mean Mm -hmm. that you are going to have all the right answers all the time but you can learn to get there and i think that's an important part of any you know conversation i think this question it's so important not for designers only but for everyone so i'm really curious about your answer what are the actions and mindset a designer should have to be a great leader in your opinion and this is based on observation and obviously my own interpretation of who i want to be but based on the people that i admire there's an equal balance of hard skills right things that you just know how to do as a designer the tool set that we discussed about before maybe people skills and presentation skills and a really really good understanding of what makes people happy on their day-to-day and empowering people i think that's an important part of who also i want to be uh so that's why i feel it's an important uh trait uh of a great leader emotional intelligence to me is a mindset that needs to be worked on every single day. I personally work on every single day, but acting on this intelligence, right? And, and, and what you learn and how you're able to understand feelings requires a really strong leader with a really important personal mission. Because I, I think the idea of just staying neutral uh, through a lot of uh, the conversations that we have is important depending on what the person that is providing this insight is looking to get out of that conversation. But sometimes emotional intelligence will mean taking some level of a stand 
right, on, on something. Uh, and then it requires somebody that has an opportunity to provide that level of feedback. And, and a stand might just mean, you know, today I want you to solve your own problems in your own way. I need you to look deeper into some of these areas. I think it's really, really important to have emotional intelligence and also act on it so you can empower other people. Next question. What's the importance of personal projects in your life? I saw that in addition to your full-time job, you also work as a lead designer with startups, agencies, and other design folks. I will personally feel that side projects really allowed me to have not only a perspective that I'm not able to have in my day-to-day, -day, but keep <laughs> me um, challenged as a designer. I think they're perfectly great jobs from your nine to five that give you that level of challenge. But to me, it's about never really getting too familiar with what I'm doing. And that that is just a personal trait, by the way. Not everyone has to do this. I feel that more familiar I get to these problems that I'm trying to solve, the less I am able to see it from different perspectives, right? And so to me, projects allow me to constantly be that outside view for different services and products that I want to think through uh, and, and rethinking what and challenging what I believe is a possible mm -hmm. solution, right? And so personal projects also allow me to think beyond the challenges of a nine to five job sometimes, which are very dependent on balancing a lot of different goals. When you have your personal projects, there might be smaller, the team is smaller, maybe the way in which the problems are be defined are, is still very new and the goals as well. And so there's a huge opportunity there to be able to come in earlier on in the process and use a completely different set of skills, right? That you might not be able to do every day. So uh, it's, it's a good opportunity to constantly challenge yourself as a designer and think through different lenses and provide different insights and maybe in some ways not get too comfortable, right? So that you can build that level of empathy that I find really important. And I think it's interesting how you can also maybe feel more free to experiment and also alleviate some pressure so you can be more creative or bolder or whatever you want to experiment and sometimes even experimenting other areas that is not necessarily part of your main job your full-time job that is also interesting I, I definitely agree with that actually just focusing on projects maybe that you wouldn't be able to find right in mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day. like I am very passionate about food waste for example or, or things mm -hmm. that actually more about removing food waste and not allowing for that level of just waste in general. Um, and there mm -hmm. are companies that are doing that, but maybe not bigger companies, right? And so mm -hmm. if you can help a mission that is happening at a smaller scale, you can still do that without having to compromise your nine to five or your day mm -hmm. job. Uh, I think mm -hmm. there are a lot of great movements or like just groups of people coming together and doing really interesting things. Uh, and I think that's an important part of just who you are, like who I am, at least as a designer. I, I really like to think that I'm very mission driven. That keeps me also going just as a person and, you know, as a designer as well. Amazing. Our last question. What's your favorite thing about the professional experiences you already had? For instance, working as a product designer for Disney and Spotify, mentoring designers and working as an art director. I really like my constant sense of discovery that I've had in every other job and every other role I had. 
with each professional experience. And this actually brings me back to the first question also about like the doors, right? And, and just constantly mm -hmm. pushing through it. But uh, there were a lot of times where I just questioned myself whether I wanted to make different decisions, but I did end up relocating uh, for multiple roles, mm -hmm. uh, actually for the past three roles. So I'm really happy to be settling very soon. But my experience be, you know, extended beyond that understanding mm -hmm. and commitment to a company. It was learning about these locations and people and neighborhoods and cities that I had not experienced before. It's interesting when you think uh, about the word immigrant uh, and the word mm -hmm. expat. It's interesting how uh -huh. in some places we just choose one or the other. But I've been uh -huh. an immigrant and an expat, apparently. <laughs> so depending on the city and the country, I was able to be both. But I'm super glad that I was able to be someone just experiencing something new and also bring my family along. And that is something that I will always remember uh, and cherish for a while. It's interesting. I, I remember that I saw a tweet not a long time ago talking about this whole idea of depending on where you are, you say immigrant or you say expat. And yeah, it, it is an interesting conversation. <laughs> it's interesting because I guess I've been both, but technically it's mm -hmm. just the same thing. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. That was awesome. I learned a lot and it was really inspirational. And I love to talk about Disney too. It brought me a lot of really good memories. <laughs> I'm just curious. I had to ask you about what, how it was like, because I remember my experiences at Disney, but I was a kid. I actually haven't been back. I wonder what it would be like if I were to go back now. And also I have a family, so I wonder what the fam my family is going to experience it. I think in the beginning, it was weird in a sense that I'm old. I, I can't behave like a kid, you know? And in the end, I was like, whatever, let's hug the Mickey. There's no age. Do you notice that at the park? Like, just as many kids as they are, there are adults. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the last time we went was last year in Paris. And my mom really wanted to see the the show of the Disney princess. And she was so happy that it was really nice to see it too. It's awesome. So glad to hear that. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have more interviews with amazing Latinx every first Tuesday of the month. Check our website, latinxempower.com to hear more. Don't forget to share comments and feedback always with kindness. See you soon.